0: I was in the Word this morning, early, and uh, I was in the book of Jude. Very small book, it's only one chapter. And this is how he writes at the beginning. He says, Dearly loved friends, I had been planning to write to you some thoughts about the salvation that God has given us, and that's a really good thing to write about. But now I find I must write of something else instead. There was something happening that he needed to not write so much about the salvation, but about this. I find I need to write something else instead, urging you to stoutly defend the truth that God gave his people once for all and entrusted to us to keep it throughout the years. Man, if there was ever a time, I'm telling you, it's like when we're reading through James, right? And We're studying through James, and it's like he wrote it last week to us. And Jude is James' brother. And Jude's writing to us, and he's saying the same thing. You know, I want to talk to you about this, but I really feel the need right now to encourage you to stoutly defend the truth that God entrusted to you. So here's what I want you to do, because we're getting ready to open up the word of truth, God's word. So I want you to take a seat, and I want you to get your Bibles out and get ready to go. And as you do, I want you to know that aren't we blessed to have multiple voices, that we have men, gifted men, that God has touched with the ability to come and bring the word to us. And um, today is one of those days. But I want you to know something. There will never be a man asked to come and preach here and to speak here who does not hold to what what is holding to here, who does not stoutly defend the truth that God has entrusted to us. Um, we vet every person that comes to preach here, and we know, so that you can be secure in this, that there will never be a man who comes and speaks in this pulpit that doesn't have, first and foremost, the Word of God as His text to bring to us, because we don't care about what people think, (laughs) right? Are you with me? I mean, we care about what God thinks, and so it's our privilege today, again, um, to have one, I think one of our favorites and it's our, my son-in-law Davy Blackburn to come and speak Christy's here and the kids are here and we've had a great time this Thanksgiving but I've been looking forward all weekend to having you come brother and I can't wait to sit underneath your teaching today so would you help me welcome back to our pulpit Davy Blackburn to speak to us
1: man First Baptist it's uh, what an honor to be back with you guys it's been a, it's been a while since I've been here but i let me pivot for just a second. I'm going to throw you guys a curveball up there because as you were just talking about that, we've been in the book of James, and um, I was planning on taking James 5 and putting it at the end of my message, and I'll probably do that as well, but I actually want to put James 5 up there for a second because I feel like we need to unlock some of our understanding of something before we can even dive into the message, And so if you, if you guys would put that James 5 passage up, this is, this is kind of the big passage Pastor Phil finished off with last week, and I want to use it as a launch pad. Here it says, um, is anyone among you in trouble? Can we, I know you're not used to being honest in church, <laughs> but can we be honest for a second? Does anybody feel in trouble right now? I mean, the climate that's happening around us, anybody, okay, so he's addressing us, he's talking to us. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let him pray. Is anyone happy? Yeah, I mean, isn't it, is it okay to hold in tension both the feelings of trouble and happiness? Absolutely. Is anyone happy? Well, let him sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? And I believe he's talking about physical sickness, but I also believe he's talking about mental sickness. I believe he's talking about emotional sickness. I believe he's talking about spiritual sickness. He says, Is anyone sick? Let him call the elders of the church to pray over them and to anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. All right, I'm going to stop right there because the title of my message today is Do You Want to Be Well? Do you want to be well? Because I believe in church today, we have so many people sitting in the pews, but have not fully discovered the purpose that God has for them in walking in complete, 100% wholeness. And year after year, month after month, week after week, we come in and we expect to just consume something, but we're not realizing the wholeness and the healing that God wants for us. And my question today is, do do you want to be well? Now... James, most scholars believe, was Jesus's brother, this, this, this author right here that was writing this. Can you imagine being Jesus's brother? <laughs> like, can you imagine, like, as kids, you're coming home with your report card, and your mom, Mary, takes a look at your report card, and it's like, James, why can't you just be more like your brother? You know, James like, well, thanks, mom. That's the goal for all of us, isn't it? Be more like Jesus, you know, like imagine how difficult that would be. What would you have to do to convince your brother that you are the son of God? And yet, James here writes an entire book defending that Jesus not only is the Son of God, but there is power in the person of Jesus, the helper that Jesus left with us, the Holy Spirit, power to save and power to heal. My question is do you believe that? Because this guy who lived with Jesus, walked with Jesus, saw Jesus, he believed it. Why? Because of what he saw, what he witnessed. And I just think that maybe perhaps the limiter to us experiencing change in our lives and healing in our lives, the greatest limiter is not somebody out there. It's not, you know, some system that is, you know, kind of working against us. The greatest limiter to us experiencing change and healing in our lives and wholeness and the purpose, the significance that God has for us is staring us right in the mirror. It's ourselves. It's ourselves. It's ourselves. Now, I, um I was kind of realizing this a couple years ago because uh, we gave Weston uh, our middle child, which is a little bit confusing. I'll explain in a second. We gave him a bike for his birthday. Uh, since we haven't been here, let me just kind of introduce my family for, for just a second. This is our—since uh, we've been here, we've had our youngest—well, let's go back to the, the, the youngest because I need you guys to see this picture right here. This is Cohen. We had him just about a year ago, Christy and I did. This is Baby Yoda. This was this Halloween costume right here. If you know, you know. Baby Yoda. Um, he looks just like Yoda. It's amazing. So we, we made all of our costumes kind of fit around the theme of, of the Star Wars and, and the Mandalorian because of him. And then this is our family as a whole, okay? And so this is Natalia on the left, Weston in the middle, and then Cohen. Now, our family's unique. It's blended. Uh, normal families, whatever normal means, right? I mean, a normal family. Normal families have kind of a birth order that takes shape and evolves as you have your first child and your middle child and your third child. And personalities begin to evolve because of that birth order, right? Usually your firstborn is more assertive. They're a little bit more strong-willed. They're more responsible. Just typically, it's not always the case. The middle child, they can be maybe a little bit rebellious or they're majorly a pleaser. You know, if you've read like the birth order book, it's kind of what it tells. The third child's supposed to be either like extremely obstinate or just really easygoing, right? They just kind of learn and pick things up from their older siblings. We have, listen, because our family's not normal at all, it's very blended. Natalia comes from Christy's previous marriage. Weston comes from my previous marriage with Amanda that you know very, very well. And then Cohen is ours together. We have three firstborns. (laughs) So we're going to write a book on the the birth order of blended families, and here's what it's going to say. It's very simple. You have stubborn, stubborn, and more stubborn. (laughs) That's it. So pray for us. And I learned about Weston's stubbornness. He's very, very stubborn. Uh, He has me and Amanda mixed. And and when we tried to buy him a bike for his birthday, he was previously driving or riding a tricycle like this. And we wanted to get him, kind of upgrade him to a bike with training wheels so he could learn how to actually ride a bike. And we have about a mile from our house in our neighborhood. It's an actual mile to walk. We have a playground. And Weston always wanted to go to the playground. He's like, I want to go to the playground. And he wanted to go on his bike. Well, I told him, like, you can't go on your track bicycle, you're never going to make it there if you go to, I mean, it's just not going to happen, right? This will not carry you all the way. Your little leg's not going to carry you. But I was so excited about buying this bike for him because as I'm going to Walmart and I'm picking it out, I've got these visions for him. You know, like parents, you have these visions and these dreams and these hopes for your kids. I've got visions of when I was a kid and I was racing down the hills of our Alabama neighborhood and, and just the wind zipping in your in your face and, and and we built ramps when we were kids. We'd ramp up and we'd skin our knees and we would I'd go on so many adventures and we'd like zip in and out of the woods and stuff, and I'm just imagining this for Weston going, I'm so excited to upgrade him to this new bike, because then he could actually go all the way to the playground, and he wouldn't be confined to our little cul-de-sac right there. So so we get him for for his birthday, and kind of like do the big reveal to him, and and, and he's like, whoa, oh my God, this is amazing. There's like this Batman bike with this Batman shield on it. It's like, whoa, this is so cool. We get him a helmet, we put it on there, and he gets up on the bike, and he feels a little bit wobbly, even though there's training wheels to hold him. Up and he looks at us and he goes, and I'm like, no, buddy, it's okay. It's the same concept, just start pedaling, you'll be fine. He goes, and then I I hadn't really seen this up to this point, but Weston absolutely lost his mind. Like this Tim, I'm like, buddy, just do it. And he's like, no. I'm like dude what in the, What just happened right now He's like I want to go on my tricycle I don't want to go I want to go on my tricycle And I'm like buddy we can't You're going to be confined to the cul-de-sac If you go, we can't go to the playground He goes I want to go to the playground on my tricycle Now at that point I had a parenting decision to make I could either force him into what I knew was You know hey no you're not going to go past the cul-de-sac You're going to or I could let him learn now, I don't know if you agree my parenting philosophy, but I decided to give him enough rope to hang himself. And so, I was like, okay, well, let's go. And so, we get on his tricycle, and we don't get but 300 yards from my house, and he's like, daddy, I'm tired. I can't do it. I'm like, buddy, I told you this. I said, well, what do you want me to do? And he goes, I want you to carry my tricycle and me back to the house. I'm like... Oh, so I literally have video, I put this on Instagram a while ago, I literally have video of him pushing his bike all the way back to the house, and we never made it to the playground. And I was thinking about that later, and I was thinking, you know what, um, I believe there are a lot of Christians who are living a life just like this. I, I believe there are a lot of Christians who are confined to the cul-de-sac, so to speak. I believe that God has visions for your life, dreams for your life, plans for your life that would be completely, exceedingly, abundantly beyond what you could ever ask or imagine. I believe he's got visions for how he's gonna reveal a deeper mystery of himself to you, how you're going to find a deeper intimacy with with other people, with your spouse. I believe he's got all kinds of different crazy, crazy adventures he wants to take you on, but we are are settling and confined to the cul-de-sac because we ultimately don't wanna change the vehicle that we're riding on, because change is uncomfortable. Because because change might mean that things things are going to get a little bit out of whack from what we're what we're used to. Because change change is is not something that I do anymore. And what's more difficult is this tricycle actually got Weston to a certain season of his life. Like this tricycle was at one point actually a breakthrough for him. And that's what makes change even more difficult when we have to swap the tricycle out for this for the other bike. Because, because there are seasons of our life that actually we're living in because of previous breakthroughs that God has brought us into. Previous strongholds that have been broken. Previous addictions that have been shattered. Pre- previous... Previous breakthroughs that we've experienced spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally, and because of that, we're excited about it, and yet God wants to always take us deeper. And he wants to bring us more. And in order for us to do that, he's going to point out the things that are blocking our breakthroughs. And he's going to put his finger on it, and it's going to hurt a little bit. And he's going to invite us to change. And in order to kind of show you a little bit about what James is talking about here, I want to show you an instance of this in Jesus' life. In John chapter five, we see a guy who is struggling, wanting breakthrough, wanting healing, desiring to be made whole. And yet Jesus asks him an interesting question. This is in John chapter five. Interesting that we're at James 5 to John 5. We'll get to that in just a second. John chapter 5, it says this, as Jesus is walking the earth, as he's got his public ministry, it says that sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which is in Aramaic called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five, how many? Five covered colonnades. I need you to lock that number five into your brain. Here, verse 3 A great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. How many years? 38. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition, which by the way, another translation says, and knew that he had been in this condition, Okay, how did he know, Davy? Well, Jesus is God. He knows everything. You can't hide anything from him, okay? So he knew that he was in this condition for 38 years. It says, he asked him, look at this. Do you want to be well? Now, upon first inspection of this question, this seems like a very, very interesting question. Because it's like, well, Jesus, obviously, he wants to be well. I mean, he is an invalid. He's been disabled for 38 years. I don't know if he's 38 years old or if something took place early in his life that caused this, but he's been coming to this pool for 38 years. Obviously, he wants to be well, and yet Jesus still asked him the question. Why would Jesus ask a question unless he knew something that we don't intuitively know just from this passage? He knew something about this man's heart, I believe, because he knows something about the condition of the hearts of man. And the condition of the hearts of man is that we are, we are totally fine with being confined to the cul-de-sac, riding around on our tricycle, even though Jesus wants to take us to the playground a mile down the road. Why? Because change is difficult, and because healing and wholeness requires change. Change. So Jesus isn't necessarily asking here, do you want to be well? What he's asking is, are you willing to do what it takes to be well? Because for 38 years, this man is confined to the side of these pools. Now, if you guys went with us uh, a couple of years ago to Israel, the first Baptist trip that we took, and if you're gonna go to Israel, you'll go to this location, the pools of Bethesda. Um, you'll see the Sheep Gate. And this would have been a place that uh, Jesus would have entered in through either the Sheep Gate or the Southern Gate, which is right next to that, at least three times a year growing up. There are seven festivals total in the, Jewish, uh, in, in the Jewish custom, and three of those festivals, everybody was required to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And so, Jesus would have walked through either the Southern Gate or the Sheep Gate, regardless of where he walked through, there, the pools would have been right there next to the temple, Some people believe this is where the sacrificial lambs that were going to be uh, slaughtered for the sins of the people, to cover their sins every year, were those lambs were were washed before they went to be sacrificed. And and so, there was this superstition that there was some healing components within the water. In fact, verse 4 says that the, the idea was, the thought was, that there was an angel that would come down and would stir up the waters. Now... There's a lot of controversy around this. In fact, so much controversy that some manuscripts actually leave verse 4 out. But um, we'll see in a second the guy responded with referencing this angel, the belief that would stir up the water. So regardless of the controversy, there was some stirring up of the water that took place that there seemed to be some healing powers within that. Now, I kind of have a theory, based on some research that I've done. I can't prove this. This is not implicit within God's word, but let's just color the text a little bit and let's just explore and see and kind of find the humanity within all of this. Many scholars believe that this stirring took place sometime within Jesus's lifetime, okay? They don't know exactly when, but there were other historical records that began to talk about and document this, and those were documenting around the time that Jesus lived, So can you imagine if Jesus and his family, they always had to come to Jerusalem three times a year. It says that these invalids would come down uh, during certain seasons, whether it was once a year or whether it was a few times a year, because they knew that during certain seasons, the water would be stirred up. So picture this with me. Mary, Joseph, Jesus coming in to the south, through the sheep gate or through the southern gate, doesn't matter which one, they walk by these pools. And what does a five-year-old typically do when they walk by some kind of water? What do they do? I, I know, I've got kids, right? They're like, <laughs> and I can just imagine Jesus at age five, like, <laughs> and Mary be like, Jesus, get out, that is dirty, stop, don't mess with that water, right? And then I can imagine Jesus at age five, <laughs> and then shortly after they've kind of walked by, they hear this yell being let out back, like, I'm healed, oh, it's a miracle. Now, the text doesn't actually tell us that. But based on all of these different researchings and stuff that we can kind of surmise, perhaps maybe something like that took place. Here's my question as you look at me with a little bit of skeptical eyes. Here's my question. Do you believe Jesus could do that? That's the first step. I believe the very first step to you and I discovering wholeness and healing is actually believing that Jesus could heal us. And I also believe that this points to the fact that Jesus knew this man's heart and knew this man's condition, that he would have seen this man, regardless of whether or not he was the one stirring up the waters, he would have seen this man at least, let's just say his conscious awareness started when he was five years old. If he went three times every year, at least 75 times he's walking by this man who's by the pool, who has not one time gone into the water to receive healing after it's been stirred up. This is why Jesus asked him the question, do you actually want to be well? Because Jesus knows that our human condition will constantly drag us in to lying on our mat because it's much easier to sit in our sickness than it is to actually get up and do the necessary things to find healing. You see, you and I will never find healing and wholeness until the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. Until then, we're gonna sit with the last breakthrough or sit with the last moment of healing or sit with the last whatever it was and we'll be confined to the cul-de-sac. And I believe the enemy would love nothing more than to keep you paralyzed in whatever season that you're in right now. Because if he keeps you paralyzed in the season that you're in right now, if he keeps you paralyzed in your sickness, he robs you of your effectiveness. You see, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've received what Jesus did for you on the cross... That he shed his blood for you for the forgiveness of sins. If you believe that he raised from the dead so that you and I could be free from the confines of sin. That we could actually be free of sin. That we could actually begin to find freedom in these things and wholeness and healing. If we, if we believe that, if we've received that, then we are sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit. There is nothing that can steal your salvation. But oh, make no mistake about it, the enemy would love to steal your joy. And he would love to steal your effectiveness. And he would love to neutralize everything about your life so that you cannot be the light of the world that Jesus called us to be. All he's got to do is keep you on your mat. All he's got to do is block your breakthrough. So the question we have to ask today is what is blocking our breakthrough? You and I are one to two decisions away from experiencing another breakthrough in our marriage, another breakthrough in our emotional health, another breakthrough in our mental health, another breakthrough in, listen, hey, possibly even our physical health. Can I go there? Let me follow it up with this. Do you believe that God can heal? So, Three things that I feel like, three philosophies or ideologies that we have to buy into if we're going to experience breakthrough and healing. The first one is we have to refuse to excuse our excuses. I know that's a mouthful, but we've got to refuse to excuse our excuses. Jesus asked this man, hey, do you want to be well? Well? Because, man, I've walked by you so many times, and, and you're here in the same spot. Any, any of you guys know any Christians that that's the case? Man, we've taken a lot of laps around the calendar year, bro. It's like been 20 years, and you're still the same. I'm sure it's all people that we know. It's not us at all, right? It's just people that we know about, you know? You know what? Let me just pause for a second. What I love about this place, the pools of Bethesda, Bethesda in the Aramaic, what it means in the Aramaic is the place of mercy. I am so glad, what I love about the culture of First Baptist is that it is a a house of mercy. And what I mean by that is no matter what your, your burdens are, no matter what your past is, no matter what your baggage is, no matter what you're carrying into this place, you can carry it into this place. Like it's like it's okay to not be okay. Is that okay, First Baptist to say? Is it okay to come in here and be so far away from God and yet you're seeking and you're wanting and you're desiring to experience salvation and wholeness from Jesus? Is it okay to walk in here and sit here and not be okay? Is that okay? Unfortunately, what tends to happen is we can create cultures where it's okay to not be okay and then we think it's okay to stay that way. Come on. What I love about Jesus is he loves us way too much to let us stay that way. He will meet us where we're at, love us where we're at, but then lovingly, like a good, perfect father, he will begin to beckon us and call us and woo us into deeper spaces of healing and salvation and dependence on him. The more and more I follow after Jesus, the more I realize I need his mercy, I need his grace. If you're following Jesus for a long time and you're like, man, I've got this nailed, you know what that's called? Self righteousness. That was the Pharisees that murdered Jesus. We look at the Apostle Paul and you see a progression in the Apostle Paul's life. It's amazing. He first describes himself as the most qualified of all the, uh, not just all of the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees, but all of the apostles. He's like, I'm highly qualified. The longer he follows after Jesus, then he begins to call himself the least of the apostles. The longer he calls and follows Jesus, then at the end of his life, he begins to call himself the worst of all sinners. Is that because he's progressively getting worse? No, it's because because he's progressively getting closer to God, and the closer we get to God, the more we realize our own depravity and need for grace. And so I love that this is a house of mercy, that it's okay to not be okay, but let let me just caution each one of us that if we use this idea of grace as a license to not be okay, then we've missed it. We've missed it. Grace is not just something that, that, like, saves us. Grace is something that empowers us. It's a twofold thing. Let me, let me say it this way. Grace is not just something that gets us into heaven. Grace is something that gets heaven into us and begins to spread heaven all over the place. Jesus came with the message, the kingdom has come, and he's entrusted us with that kingdom message. And he's empowered us with grace. What I love about this right here is that this house of mercy man, this guy came to the right place, but he missed the presence. Because he starts to lay out his excuses right here. He says, Sir, keep in mind he's addressing Jesus, the guy who has the power in his fingertips to heal not just in his fingertips, the guy who has the power in his robe, right? You touch the hem of his robe and you're healed. Like this guy, he's addressing him and he goes, eh, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water's stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Excuses. It's an excuse. You're telling me That the many times, I don't know how many, but let's just say it's about 75 times that Jesus has seen you come to the pool right now. You're telling me out of all of those times, you didn't one time think, okay, the last couple of times someone got in before me, so maybe I talked to somebody about helping me out to get into this pool. Or maybe I figure out some kind of a plan. If I really want healing, if I really want to experience this, maybe I figure out some kind of a plan to jump down. You're telling me that? That's why Jesus asked him, do you want to be well? Because he knows that the blocker, the lid to this man's healing is himself and his excuses. And friends, we do the exact same thing. Now, perhaps it's because we're unaware, and that's okay. Like, maybe we are totally unaware of the fact that we actually need healing. I don't think that that was necessarily the case for this man. It's hard to be unaware that you can't walk, especially when you're walking, when you're around a bunch of other people who can't walk. And yet, there might be some truth in that, right? When you hang out with other people who also have that same sickness, it's very hard to begin to rise above that and realize that there is possibility for something else to take place in your life, right? We'll, we'll get to that in just a second. Maybe he's unaware. What I've found is we've worked with people in our ministry, uh, it's called Nothing is Wasted, who we work with people in pain and trauma, and we help them to um, begin to look at their pain and trauma, heal from their pain and trauma, and then walk forward and, and begin to step into the, the, the God-given purpose that, that he has for them. What we say is we want to help you partner with God to take back your story. That's, that's our, kind of our mantra. But what we realize is that there's a lot of people who their very first step to, to healing that they've got to understand is they've got to recognize and become aware that they've got some kind of trauma that they've, they have not dealt with. And I believe this season right now that we've been walking through COVID is a perfect time for us to talk about this. Because many people are blaming COVID or the political environment for the anxiety that they're experiencing in their life or for the um, mental illness that they're experiencing, or the addiction that they've lapsed back into, or let's just talk about this coping in whatever way or fashion we're coping with, perhaps maybe even with like food or overeating, whatever it is, we all use things to cope with stress around us, and we blame it on COVID, or we blame it on isolation, or we blame it on, and can I tell you something? COVID has not caused issues in our lives. COVID has revealed the underlying issues in our lives. We didn't like that. It's true. Anytime society presses down on us, friends, it's what I call sponge seasons of life. Whatever comes out of us when life squeezes you is what was already in you. Scripture tells us this out of the overflow of the heart, the what? Mouth speaks. And so if you've seen some ugly things come out during the season in COVID, listen, it's not to be, you're not to be condemned or shamed, but can I tell you something? That is God going, hey, there's still some deeper healing that needs to take place inside of your life. There's still some Egypt that's inside of you that we got to get out of you. Did you know that God didn't just free the people from Egypt? He had to get Egypt out of them and it took him 40 years to do that before they could step into the identity that he had for them in the promised land there's still some stuff, there's still some stuff and you've got to become aware that there might be some stuff way back from your childhood, way back from early date. whatever it is that you've got to begin to root out and gut out. And when trauma goes left unaddressed, it is dangerous because it begins to ooze out of you when life presses in around you. And everybody else around you, can they see it. They know it. Because it's it's oozing out of you and how you interface with other people, and, and and you might not be aware of it, or you might just have accepted that that's the case, that's just who you are. You know, I was just I, I was just born this way. Well, welcome to humanity, friend. <laughs> we are all born sinners. We're all born with something messed up inside of us. Aren't we? You don't believe me? Man, babysit a kid for at least two hours, right? Have a kid. Kids do not come into this world going, hey, mom, how can I convenience you? you know? How can we make this really, really, you know, just an easy walk for you? No, no, they come in, they come in naked, crying with an attitude, Right? And so, that, so, so we can either be on the spectrum of not being aware of our sickness or we can just totally accept, you know what, this is how it's gonna be. And it comes out in subtle ways. It comes out in ways like, well, you know, I'm just direct with people. That's just how I am, I'm just direct. Eh. Some people might call that direct. On the other side of you, you know what it feels like? It feels like mean. feels like you're not taking any consideration whatsoever to somebody else's feelings. Well, that's just who I am. Yeah. I mean, the last I checked as believers, we're supposed to be exhibiting like the, the fruit of the Spirit. It's not fruits of the Spirit, it's not like items on a menu. I'll take a little bit of love and joy, but that kindness thing, <laughs> that's not me. The fruit. The spirit is love, joy, peace. Well, David, I'm just, you know, I'm just an anxious person. That's just, that's just me. I'm just an anxious person. You might have a propensity toward anxiety. I absolutely believe that there are certain makeups that tend toward anxiety. But, but, but Jesus did not die on the cross and raised from the dead so that you and I can live in a perpetual state of anxiety. He wants to grow the fruit of peace in your life. So if you're feeling anxiousness, that means this right here is an invitation into some deeper healing. You see, what's so powerful about this passage is this this place right here is the house of mercy and this whole passage has grace and mercy written all over it. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's at the sheep gate, okay, where they thought to have washed the sheep or the lambs that were used for sacrifices. Hello, grace. Here comes walking through the sheep gate, the lamb of God. Hello, grace. The number, the biblical number five represents grace. There's five covered colonnades sitting at this location. Hello, Grace, what chapter of the book of John is this in? Chapter five, grace. This thing has grace written all over over the passage here's this man that walks into this space who is the embodiment of grace the embodiment of healing has power not just in his fingertips but in the hem of his robe to be able to heal and help you experience breakthrough and he is the person that can do that the only one and this man looks at him goes well I can't I can't. Can I I tell you how many times someone has come up to me and said, Davey, man, the way you and your family, the way you guys have walked through the tragic loss of Amanda, like there's no way I could ever walk through it like that. And I look at them and I I go, yeah, you could. Mm-hmm. That's right. Don't sit here and look and think that there's something special about me or the buyer's family or anything. In and of ourselves, there is nothing special about us. Did you know that before Amanda passed away, probably about a year and a half, maybe two years as we were getting the church started up, I went to coffee with a man who I did not know his story, but he was a... Uh, assistant pastor at a church and he begins to unveil his story to me that he lost his wife in her sleep and I was blown away by like the faith and the fortitude that he was explaining this to me and I went home to tell Amanda I literally said I was like I don't know how in the world he walked through that and he has so much courage and so much strength and so much faith I would never be able to do that that's what I said Don't tell God that you can't do something he's already empowered you to do. You have, Christian, the Holy Spirit residing inside of you. You have the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead making his dwelling place in you. There is an endless amount of power that resides in your spirit. Do you understand that? It's not your power, it's his power. The question is, are you willing to be a conduit of that power? Or are you going to block it? This is the same power, friends, that literally, I mean, literally, this guy named Elisha, who had unbelievably the the power of God residing in and through him, he is buried. His bones are buried, and somehow a man falls into that pit. They throw him in dead, and he, boom, he comes up alive. That's power. This is the same power that, although his intentions were not right in this samson the spirit of god comes over him and he by himself slays a thousand of god's enemies with the jawbone of a donkey this is power now now, don't be tempted to think that this is your power it can't be expended the way that you want to expend it in fact one of the biggest blockers to this kind of power is pride And yet I wonder if the reason that many Christians are confined to the cul-de-sac, stuck in their sickness, lying on their mat, is because they won't even recognize that Jesus has the power to do something about your situation. What does scripture tell us? Everything that we need for life and godliness, he has given to us. So you come up on a barrier, friends, don't look at that barrier and tell God it's impossible. Now he may have a different intention on how you're gonna get over or through or around that barrier than what you've thought, because God's ways are much higher than our ways, but don't look at that barrier and tell him it's impossible. You're gonna tell, you're gonna tell the God of the impossible it's impossible. And that's what this man does. I can't. I just can't, I can't. I mean, I... Someone else goes down ahead of me. You know what Jesus says? I'm totally pivoting here, guys. We're not even gonna make it to my last two points because we just gotta sit right here on this. You know what Jesus says to him? Jesus says, what's that say? Get up. Get up. You see, one of the, the things, the primary things that keeps us stuck is our limiting language that flows out of our limiting beliefs. I can talk with someone for three minutes who's experienced any kind of trauma or tragedy, and I can tell you whether or not, whether or not they are, as their current state, going to experience healing and wholeness. How? Because of their language their language either exhibits victim language or victory language. Their language either exhibits bitterness or it's language that's determined to become better through the circumstance. And what I'm not talking about, friends, is some kind of Pollyanna, stick your head in the sand and not admit to the crisis that's at hand, not admit to the heaviness that's at at hand, In fact, I believe wholeheartedly you have to fully admit to, deal with, dive into that heaviness before you can experience resurrection. Hello. This is what scripture means about experiencing the sufferings of Christ, then we can experience the resurrection of Christ. But there is a difference, a subtle difference between someone who dives into that suffering understanding that on the other side of it, it is possible to experience resurrection and someone who decides to just sit in the deep vortex of that suffering. It's our language. That's from a deeply held belief. And it's a belief about either who you are, who God is, or what this world is like. And the only way for us to break through is for our belief to change. Because our subtle language begins to create God into something that we think that, we, that he is. We manufacture a different God, not the God of the Bible. And so our language begins to say, I, I, well, I can't because, or this, or I should have, or I can't, and you know what I ask them? Anytime I'm talking to somebody and that's the language that begins to come through, I look at them, I go, who said who said? Who said that you can't experience peace of mind? Who said that your marriage can't be restored? Who said that you can't find freedom from that addiction? Who said? Well, if we unravel it some more, typically it goes back to something that either their, uh, their, their parents told them at one point that what their, parent, their parents preached over them, what their parents continued to, to kind of, uh, the, the ideologies that they began to shape inside them, or maybe an early influence, or maybe sometimes it's even one instance where someone they respected and admired told them something that limited their belief. Who said? Is that what God said? Friends, I just wonder what it would look like If the church of God would begin to rise up and get our heads up above the weeds of what everybody else is saying about what CNN is saying and Fox News is saying about what, is that okay to say? Uh, about what Instagram is saying, what Twitter is saying, if we rise up above the weeds of that and we begin to put our eyes on our Savior and begin to say, what does Jesus say about this situation? How do we rise up above this and be the light of the world? How do we experience healing? What does God's word say about this situation right now in my own personal life and corporately? That, friends, is how we experience freedom and healing and breakthrough. Breakthrough. Um, I don't know what's going to happen in our lives. I I admit, I'm going to go ahead and invite you to help me land the plane here. I didn't even get to my last two points, that's okay. Um, I don't know what's going to happen in our lives over the next year, two years, three years, four years, five years. I have a lot of concerns just like you. But I do know, no matter what, There is a certain freedom that cannot be stolen from us. There is. Everything may be stolen from us. It might be. You look all throughout history, just read history. The church of God, the people of God have gone in and out of any kind of situation, government, experience, circumstance that you could ever imagine. In fact, most of the Bible is written about the people of God living under oppression. Okay? But there's one freedom that can't be taken from us. It's our freedom that was woven inside of us since the beginning of time when God chose to create humankind, and that is the Imago Dei, the image of God. God. And it's this freedom that was a major risk for God to put inside of us because it's the freedom for us to choose. Why was it a risk? Because we then had the capacity to choose to walk away from the ways of God and to experience destruction and hurt but it also gave us the capacity to choose to align ourselves to the things of God and experience wholeness and freedom and healing and salvation no matter what circumstances come around us. That's the choice we have. There's no amount of effort or work that we can do to earn or attain salvation. It literally is laid on a platter right there for us. There's no amount of effort or work or anything that we can do to attain healing. It is laid right there on a platter for us to say, hey, listen, I have this path planned for you. I've already invited you into it. Jesus hung on a cross 2000 years ago and then raised from the dead to make available salvation and healing. But the question he has for us is do you want it? Do you want to align yourselves with this? And yeah, to experience some emotional or mental healing, it might take a little bit of us taking steps and getting off our tricycle. You might need to go see some counseling. Your pride might need to lay down a little bit. To go see a good biblical counselor who can reflect back God's word to the thoughts and beliefs that you have right now in your, in your heart and in your life. You know, I tell people all the time, bad people don't need counseling. All people need counseling. I mean, I got a counselor on retainer. Why? Because I need that. The more I follow Jesus, the more I realize, man, I have the propensity to wreck my life and to believe and skew things about God's word. I I preach God's word for a living. You don't think I can like, in my sickness, look at God's word and begin to skew it to, to make it say what I want it to say? So what do I need? I need to unbiased people in my life to reflect that back off and go, what do you think about this? Because this is belief that's, that's kind of formulating inside of my heart right now, and this is, and for them to go, knock that off, Davey, no. Or to go, yeah, 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 that, it seems like that's kind of where your, God's word is, is, is shedding light into your life right now. I don't know, maybe, maybe to experience healing in your marriage, you guys are gonna have to start letting down your guard Start choosing to assume the best of each other. Start to choosing to assume that you you are not the enemies of each other. That there's a common enemy that you both have. And that's the enemy who would love nothing more than to neutralize your marriage. To completely destroy your kid's view of marriage. To completely destroy this world's view of marriage. Oh, because we, the enemy definitely doesn't want to see... God and His unconditional love for us being put on display in the form of marriage. I don't know. But what I do know is that every one of us has the choice. No matter how far gone your circumstance looks, you have. The choice. While you may not have the choice as to what has happened to you, you have the choice on how you respond to what has happened to you. And I was talking, do you guys know who Johnny Erickson Tata is? She was this, um, she's, she's still alive. She's an unbelievable woman. But she got in a diving accident when she was young where she fractured, um broke her neck and was paralyzed literally from the neck down. And 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 she I was interviewing her on our podcast a couple of years ago and and I couldn't believe the faith that this woman had. That as, as a young, essentially a teenager, a young adult, she has what could be the worst of worst existences now put onto her. Where she's confined to a wheelchair. And yet, as I talk to this woman, I realize she is freer than ever. Because she has this walk with the Lord and this determination and grit that says, it doesn't matter what this world brings at me, I've got the Holy Spirit of God inside of me. And greater is He that is in me than He that is in the world. And I can experience healing here even if God never brings healing here and God is good and I can trust him and I believe that nothing is impossible with him so friends when Jesus said the words get up you know what happened to this man? He got up and he started walking. And I don't know when the miracle actually took place. The text literally tells us, Jesus said, get up. And immediately this man was healed and he got up and he rolled up his mat and he walked. That probably was a little uncomfortable to start rolling up his mat and realizing, man, I don't need this anymore. For 38 years, man, you've been, you've been good to me, <laughs> but I'm gonna have to let this tricycle go because I'm choosing to walk in freedom. I'm choosing to walk in healing. I'm choosing to walk in wholeness, despite what the circumstances around me say. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna take us into a space where we respond to this. I'm gonna invite the elders and the the prayer team to come up because I believe there are people in this room right now that you desire healing. Maybe it's emotional healing. Maybe all of this that has happened over the past couple of months, past year, has really gotten you emotionally upside down. Um, Maybe it's mental healing. You're experiencing some mental unhealth or mental unrest that you've not experienced before, but this stuff has begun to unearth some things. Maybe it's healing for your marriage. Maybe it's an addiction that you've been wrestling with and, and maybe you thought you had it you, you thought you had it kicked and then, and then all of a sudden this isolation and COVID kind of it resurfaced all of this. I don't know what it is but I'm gonna invite you in just a second we're gonna pray. I'm gonna invite you to come down and we're gonna pray over you. Perhaps it's physical healing. I don't know. And I don't know what God wants to do in here but I'm secure enough in who he is to just let him do what he wants to do. Are you? Are you? And I'm secure enough in God's word to know that sometimes, as James tells us, the reason we don't have is because we don't ask. So what would happen if maybe we just asked? What would happen if if somehow somehow between what we know to be true, what we've discovered right here in our head today, like, okay, I know, God, that you can heal. What would happen if we allowed that knowledge to travel 18 inches to our heart and say, hey, I trust that you can. I believe it. Perhaps that might be the first step to unlock a breakthrough in your life. I don't know. But I wonder what would happen if we just asked. So I'm gonna pray for us and as uncomfortable as it might be to get off your tricycle, excuse me, get out of your pew, (laughs) I'm gonna invite you if you feel like you need prayer for healing of any kind to come down front and receive that to tell our elders, our prayer team right here, hey, this is what I feel like I need healing from. Again, maybe you need to come down with your spouse. I don't know. Maybe you need courage and you need to ask the person next to you, hey, I really need to go down there, but I'm, I'm like uh, kind of scared to go down there by myself. Will you come down there with me? I don't care how, <laughs> but, but I would implore you, do not let this opportunity pass you up. Jesus, I just ask right now that whatever you wanna do in this space, that you would do it. We know and trust that you are so good. That you desire more for us. You desire for us not to, not to sit in the status quo of our lives, but to experience more of you. And while that more of you might make us a little bit uncomfortable, God, we're willing to step out into the uncomfortable so that we can experience the depth and the richness of who you are. Jesus, we know that you didn't just come to comfort the afflicted, but you also came to afflict the comfortable. And so where we might be experiencing this stuck mentality or this comfortability right now, I pray that you would jar us out of that, that you would shake us, that you would stir up the waters in our soul right now and that you would allow us to see a vision for our life that only you can paint. Would you allow us to see a kingdom perspective Would you allow us to believe and come to you, approach the throne of grace with confidence that you want more for us than what we're currently experiencing? So God, give us courage right now to be the incessant widow to knock and knock and knock and knock and knock. Would you answer us, Jesus? If you feel like in this moment you need to experience some kind of healing, whatever it may be, I just want to invite you to come down. Just get up out of your seat and just come on down. Maybe you've been like the man by the pool for 38 years. There's been this one particular sin or addiction that's held on. There's been this one faulty belief or mindset that has kept you paralyzed and plagued for so long. And I believe today, God wants to turn something over. He wants to stir up the waters. Come on, just come forward. You might be sitting in that seat absolutely terrified. Well, what will this mean? What will people think about me? Does it matter? Do you want to live confined to the cul-de-sac just because of what people might think about you? Well, if I if if I shed this thing, I don't know what life is like without it. I don't know either. I don't know either. And it might be extremely uncomfortable. But can I tell you something man, Jesus got uncomfortable for us when he went naked and full of shame to a cross. And it says, for the joy set before him, he endured it, scorning its shame, because he knew there was something on the other side of that uncomfortability, of that suffering. There was a breakthrough for him and for all of humanity. Friend, what could take place in your life? What kind of impact could you have? How could God use you if you opened your life up to him and said, I am available, all of me, and I know this one thing is blocking it, God, and so I just ask, (laughs) I ask that you would do something with this. I give it to you today. It's never too late to just come to Jesus. sitting there right now and you're going, okay, well, David, you know, that I don't feel like that's me and that's okay. But can I ask you to do something right now? If you're a follower of Jesus, would you, I'm going to ask you to do two things. One, would you just turn to the person next to you? And, and, and maybe they don't have the courage, but would you just say, Hey, I'll go down with you. If you want to go down, if you need to experience some kind of healing or breakthrough in your life, I'll, I'll go down with you. Just just turn to your right, turn to your left. Ask your neighbor, maybe they need some courage. The other thing I would ask you to do if you're a believer, if you would just pray. There's something powerful, James tells us, when the righteous pray. There's breakthroughs that happen in the kingdom realm and it makes it available to us now here on the earthly realm just pray
0: we're going to close our service um, at this time and um... Obviously, God's doing some great work down here. and So I'm going to invite you to um, just be dismissed. And uh, we'll, go, we'll go dark here in a second online. But don't miss this opportunity. If, if as people are going, you feel led to come down, you want some prayer. We've got all kinds of healing happening down here. The whole spectrum is happening and um, come on down. We're just going to spend some time here in this quiet like this. And so if you would take your fellowship to the commons, we'd appreciate that. But uh, God bless you as you go in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Thank you so much for joining us for this morning's online service. Our hope is that it ministered to your heart deeply, and we pray that it inspires you to love God, love people, and influence our world with the gospel of Christ. If you made a spiritual decision today, or you'd like prayer in your life, we'd invite you to fill out an online connection card by clicking on the link. If you haven't downloaded our church app yet, now's a great time. It has tons of resources and opportunities that you can take advantage of. Finally, you can check out our website, fbclcart.org, to stay connected with us. We hope you have a great week, everybody, and we'll see you right back here next week, same time.